Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Good afternoon, and thank you for coming. From yesterday, indication came from our scientist colleagues that indeed they were observing what looked like a new variant. Here we go again. There has been an exponential rise. It is a reason for concern in South Africa. The news of a new variant of concern swept the world in a matter of hours. Days later, new restrictions were being announced. So we need to take targeted and proportionate measures now. It is a safety-first approach. As a precaution, the U.S. has joined other nations restricting travel from South Africa and other countries in the region. So what does this mean for the next few months? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, all you need to know about the Omicron variant. For now. I am Tom Whipple and I'm the science editor at The Times. And Tom, this is the first time we've done an interview face-to-face since March 2020. Is this a mistake? Um, I think it's nice to take advantage of the hiatus whilst... I mean, I, I'm loving it. <laughs> I think whilst Delta is plateauing and Omicron is on the way up, let's sit here and enjoy meeting in person in the basement and bowels of the news building. <laughs> While we can. Now, I'm glad you said Omicron, because I was going to ask you, before we get into everything we need to know about the variant, how do we say it? Well, look, this, this might be wrong. I'm, I'm not a classicist or a Greek speaker, but I think it's Omicron or maybe Omicron. I did look at before this at a YouTube video that's doing amazing numbers uh, <laughs> into how to pronounce the Greek letters. And I think it's something like Omicron or Omicron. The World Health Organization are meeting an emergency session tomorrow, talking to the South African officials. And it's likely to get a name after a letter of the Greek alphabet. And it may be called the, the new, the NU variant. When we all thought it was the new variant, new is apparently pronounced... I don't know if the Greeks are controlling us, but it's pronounced, pronounced ni, like the knights who go ni. <laughs> well, that was never going to work. Why isn't it the new ni variant? I think due to precisely this sort of confusion, and then we missed out Kai as well, 
possibly because it's spelt the same as the Chinese premiere. I don't know. She. I have no idea. It was a surprise and an annoyance when the World Health Organization decreed that because we'd all been spending a day writing new and that was in all of our stories on the website and about to go into print and they dropped it at about the worst time for print <laughs> deadlines. So there was some hefty sub-editing and swearing at the World Health Organization. Oh, my crom. Oh, my crom. So take us back to where this all started, because, you know, just at the start of last week, it felt like things were going quite well. Let us uh, discuss where we are in our nation with Professor Neil Ferguson, head of the modelling group at Imperial. I'm still quite optimistic at the current time. I think it's unlikely we'll get a catastrophic winter wave at this point. You know, for us here in Britain... There was light at the end of the tunnel. It did. I mean, we've got massive immunity in the population, some of it extremely hard won at the cost of a lot of infections and deaths. It felt like the end game. And do you know what? I, I remember this time last year, I think I was on Times Radio and we'd just heard about the Alpha variant. And I described it as being like in a horror movie where you think you've defeated the baddie and up he pops for one final death-defying lunge before you defeat him. And that was that was half the pandemic ago. So we, we have yet another death-defying uh, resurrection of COVID, and I hope it's not like Alpha. Well, I don't think we're back to that. But anyway, yeah. It is all a bit like a Greek tragedy, just as we thought we were in the winning, you know, sort of the final straight. Take us back then to last Thursday. How did you find out? So to be clear, the South Africans only knew about it on Tuesday lunchtime. That's when they spotted cases were rising and they sequenced some of the cases and they discovered this troubling variant. And there was a lot of hyperbole on Twitter. There was, I think there was one... A uh, virologist in Imperial described it as a horrific set of mutations. And it sort of is. There's a lot of mutations on the spike protein, which, as we all know now, is the most important bit. It's what it uses to enter cells. It's what our immune system is trained to recognise with the vaccines. So mutations there potentially increase its transmissibility and make it evade vaccines. And there were good theoretical reasons why the mutations we saw were bad. They're ones that in many cases we know increase transmissibility and cause vaccine evasion. And here they all were together. But the issue then is, well, it's got all of them. Does this actually work as a virus? I mean, if you saw a £2,000 bomb is bad as a weapon, a rocket is bad as a weapon, a machine gun's bad as a weapon. But if you stuck all of those on a Spitfire, would it be good as a plane? And so, you know, <laughs> putting all these together isn't necessarily the best way to create an effective virus. But this all changed on Thursday, again at about lunchtime. The South Africans noticed this quirk, which we saw before with Alpha. On our PCR tests, which are the things that we use for general population testing, what a PCR does is it looks for three genes that are on the virus and it amplifies them massively until it can spot them. And then it says it declares a positive and it says this is the virus. What this was doing is one of the genes was sufficiently mutated that the PCR tests weren't picking it up. And that sounds bad, but actually it's really useful because suddenly you've got a whole load of positives with two genes rather than three that's a signal you don't normally see. And so then if you go back, you can see all these two gene positives and you can say, right, so that's the rise of it. And that's when the South Africans realised that this was indeed a viable virus. And not only did it have this horrific set of mutations, not only had it stuck all of these terrible weapons on it, but 
it was working. It was flying. It was a virus that was transmitting. It was outcompeting. It was causing a spike in cases, and that's when everyone got worried. And then it was, it was a matter of hours before you know we were talking about travel bans. And Tom, you know, for most of us, you've sort of been the voice of reason through the pandemic. You know, you're very rarely alarmed unless you need to be alarmed. What was the moment for you that you thought, oh God, this is serious? Well, if, if, I, yeah, if I can take you behind the fourth wall of journalism. On Thursday morning, I got an email from the foreign desk saying, do we need to cover this? Jane Flanagan, our excellent South Africa correspondent, had flagged it and I'd seen it the day before and we hadn't covered it. And I said to them, look, I think 250 words from Jane will do it. We haven't got a clue what this variant is doing. We don't want to be accused of scaremongering it. Until we know it spreads, it's all theoretical. And then I watched the South African Health Ministry at about two o'clock saying that it was indeed spreading. And over the last few days, over the last uh, five days, there has been more of an exponential rise. That was when it became worrying. By tomorrow, it's going to be many more. I don't remember speaking to people who were as worried or being as worried since the Alpha or Delta variants. They're the only ones. I think there's an understandable idea that the media is perhaps scaremongering when we talk about variants. Viruses always mutate. The last one I think readers will have heard about is the Delta variant. Mm. Now, chat to your classicists or your Greek speakers. It's what Epsilon, Eta, Zeta, Theta, Iota, Kappa, Nu. They died out in the main. They were variants of interest that were superseded. I mean, most... You know, the the Alpha variant is I'm pretty certain is extinct as well, but it did a lot of damage before it went extinct. But most of them were outcompeted. They proved not to be too scary. The Delta variant just swept the world. And there were a few that, that had their day in the sun in North America, but once Delta arrived in North America, that was it. They just couldn't compete against it. So there have been plenty of named variants that have not troubled Journalists have not troubled our readership and have not troubled Whitehall, but this was instantly a troubling variant. And it did feel, certainly on Twitter and on social media, like there was just a ripple of shock through the scientific community. What were the people you were talking to? What were they saying? There was a a sort of flatness and a vaguely depressing once more onto the breach kind of aspect to it. And we really aren't, it's difficult to get the balance right, we really aren't back to square one. It's so unlikely this is going to completely evade vaccines. But, you know, we thought we were finished. We might yet be almost finished. This might yet not take off in Britain. But if we're not finished, this is why. Ah. I think the moment I realised it was serious was when you tweeted you were off to have a drink. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, look, I am, as I said, this time last year, I thought we were at the final... um, the, the, the final sort of surge of the great baddie and back we are going back into winter and I'm still writing about bloody viruses, so yeah. And so Tom, along with many of Britain's science journalists, was called to a briefing with the country's top virus experts. Thank you very much, journalists, for dialling in and for your uh, interest and adv- in advance for your questions. Huge thanks to our panel. The concern is that this is a more transmissible variant. Now, studies are being rapidly conducted in South Africa to look at antibody neutralisation of this variant, as well as interactions with T-cells. But these studies are going to take several weeks to complete. So I spoke to Geoffrey Barrett, who heads up the Welcome Sanger Genomic Surveillance Consortium, who are the ones who do the genomic sequencing in Britain. I'll read out a question now from the Q&A box. This is from Tom Whipple at The Times. 
and Wendy Barclay, who's an Imperial College virologist. As with all scientists on this, there are so many uncertainties. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. It can be quite difficult to deal with uncertainty, but actually we do have to deal with a level of uncertainty. The World Health Organization put out a briefing Sunday night, the Sunday after it had designated it as Omicron, and it said, look, these are the key questions. Does it affect vaccine efficacy? We don't know. Does it transmit faster? We don't know. Is it more severe? We don't know. And that, that's where we are. Jeffrey Barrett was quite interesting as well, and, and Wendy, quite interesting about why this might yet not end up as something. South Africa had quite a bad beta wave that didn't get established in the UK or really anywhere in Europe at high levels. It may be that this one also is different in different places. So the beta variant was a big deal in South Africa in January, February last year. It caused a massive wave. We were very worried about it here for much the same reasons, because it seemed to be far better at evading vaccines, particularly the AstraZeneca vaccine. Mm. It never took off here. We've had conversations in the past about the fact that actually some variants of concern really haven't got a good toehold in some countries because other variants are there and there's a competition. So, for example, you know, beta that the variant hasn't actually become established in the UK. Probably it was outcompeted by the alpha variant, but we don't completely know why some variants take off in some places and never get further. There's a very particular mix of vaccinated, of unvaccinated, of previous immunity, of age stratification in South Africa that might mean, you know, we might get lucky. It might be that it takes off there but doesn't really spread. Talk us through some of the others on that spectrum, you know, some of the variants of Christmas past. You wrote about one in particular that the WHO rather witheringly (laughs) described as a former variant of interest. Yeah, there are a few like that. I mean, most of them, to be honest, have have gone into former territory because they've just disappeared. They've become extinct. But yes, so Alpha, Beta, Gamma and Delta, I think we could all classify them as scariants. To run through them quickly... So Alpha was the Kent variant, popped up in Sheppey during, I don't know, lockdown two, lockdown three, they all blur into one. It caused concern because everywhere in the country, cases were going down except for Sheppey. And people thought that people were just being weird in Sheppey, but they weren't. Once they were experiencing this new, more transmissible variant, that was an R of about 4.5 compared to 3 for the original Wuhan strain. And that's the sound of the people of Sheppey writing in to complain. <laughs> It was nothing to do with people, Sheppy. Uh, and that was the one that then took over and caused our winter wave. It caused, I mean, you know, 50,000, 60,000 deaths. The beta variant at the same time was causing a big wave in South Africa, but it seemed to be defeated in Britain by our British variant. Gamma was a proper variant. It did nasty things in South America. It was the one, if we remember, that appeared to reinfect people in Manaus, Mm. in Brazil. A new variant of COVID-19 known as the Brazil variant. The P1 variant, first identified in the Amazon city of Manaus, is now dominant across Brazil. And that was particularly worrying because Manaus had been probably the worst hit in the first wave. Bad enough hit that they were burying people in mass graves. But it could not compete with the Delta variant, which is the one that doubled the original R, at least 
And the doubling of infectivity, that also raises the herd immunity threshold. Delta is the reason we still have a pandemic at all. Otherwise, we would be in Britain certainly well past the herd immunity threshold. But then we move on to the more hipster variants. We have Epsilon. It had a reasonable showing in the US in summer of 2020, but that was then defeated. We have Zeta, which had the E484K escape mutation. It popped up in Brazil at about the same time as the uh, Gamma variant, but could not outcompete it. We then move on to Eta. We have Iota. Iota was in New York. It at one point rose to about 25% prevalence, but again was beaten. And then, yeah, we've we've got Kappa and we've got Lambda and Mu. And again, all of these, they, they had their brief flurry of worry, but it never, ever reached the stage that we are now at. And what should be new, but isn't new, it is the uh, Omicron. So what is it about this one that has got scientists so alarmed? The concern with this one is it is the mutations. It's the Swedish mutations, 30 mutations on the spike. We've never seen that many before. Several of these mutations have been observed that are consistent with enhanced transmissibility. Mutations are also present that have been associated in other variants with immune evasion. But a significant number of mutations detected are really unknown in in terms of, of functionality on the virus. They either came about because an immunocompromised patient, possibly someone with HIV, was fighting it for a long time, which gave it time to evolve to their body, Or equally likely, there were lots of chains of transmission in central southern Africa, which were never picked up until it crossed into South Africa, which is very good genomic surveillance. And that gave it time to evolve. But whatever, it is a massive jump in evolution. And these mutations are either theoretically or in real life, such as with the 484K mutation, we saw that this thing, which popped up in several places, escaped immunity. You know, in both cases, they, they, they seem to be genuinely troubling. And of course, the more that the spike protein changes, the harder it is for vaccines, which remember are trained on the 2019 virus mm. to spot this viral descendant. Talk us through some of those mutations. I mean, I know testing is ongoing. There are a lot of questions we don't have answers to yet, but is it more lethal? Are the symptoms worse? In terms of severity, we simply don't know. There's this idea, this sort of folk wisdom, which is that viruses mutate to become less lethal. If you look at the world from the point of view of a virus, it has no interest in killing you. We think of them as these malevolent things that roam around causing harm. All they want to do, as with any organism, is reproduce. It's not very easy to reproduce in a host that's dead, so they want to keep you alive. So there's this idea that over time they will adapt to us and they'll be less likely to kill us. There's not much evolutionary pressure on the coronavirus to get less lethal. By the time you die of coronavirus, you've done your spreading. And there's reasonable evidence that the variants have ended up becoming more lethal rather than less. And this kind of makes sense in a way, because whilst there's not much pressure on them to become less lethal, there is a lot of pressure on them to become better at spreading. A better spreading variant will take over the world. Here, here I'm, I'm delving into theory, but you know, one way of becoming more able to spread is maybe you infect cells more, you you spread more virus within the body, and if you do that, well, you're probably going to cause more illness as well. So you could well imagine an evolutionary trade-off where actually you become more lethal, so that you can spread more, and the fact that you kill people a bit early doesn't make much difference to your effectiveness at spreading.
Coming up, will our current arsenal of vaccines protect us against the Omicron variant? But first... I'm Mariella Frostrup, and every day on my show on Times Radio, we speak to some of the biggest names in the world of the arts, culture and politics. We bring you discussions about new social trends and all the latest news, views and interviews. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saida Farsi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Lots of people talk about us, and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. We've heard about the origins of this alarming new strain of the virus, but one of the really key questions now is, could Omicron be a vaccine-evading new variant? Evading is going too far. We've already been here. When Delta turned up, it was better at spreading and better at evading the vaccines, and we got by. Our summer wasn't great, but it was a a lot better than Mm. anything that's come before. Most likely it would be like Delta, in that it knocks another 10, 15 percentage points off the efficacy of our very good vaccines. And bear in mind that we're now boosting and getting well into the high 90s again. So Mm. hopefully it'll be okay. It'll be annoying. We have recently heard Kate Bingham, who ran the vaccine task force, along with Clive Dix, both of them, saying that the government was wrong to cancel its contract with Valneva. Would yeah. that have made a difference? Valneva was one of our bets. Right at the beginning, Kate Bingham produced this portfolio of vaccines. And it's it's hard to remember, but in April of 2020, we thought most vaccines would fail. And what you wanted is to spread your risk. The government has put £100 million into experimental vaccines being developed in Oxford and Imperial College London. 
but 90% of vaccines fail before they reach the clinic. I remember her describing to me at the time as the, the hairy, scary technologies. You know, we invested in mRNA and adenovirus, which are the Pfizer and Oxford vaccines. But these had never really been done. The Oxford one had kind of, the mRNA not at all. Of all the ones that were going to fail, those were the most likely. We also invested in more traditional technologies, among which is the Valneva, which uses a lot more of the virus. So the mRNA, the adenovirus, they're just making this spike. Whereas Valneva shows your body the rest of it too. And that means it's harder to make, it takes longer, it's slower. But because it shows you your body more of the virus, you make a broader range of antibodies to the virus. So even if the spike changes, you've still got these fallback defences. So I think that's why Kate Bingham was yeah quite vo vocally annoyed about the cancelling of that contract. The original strategy of the vaccine task force was... Don't quibble on money, spend what you have to, invest in things that might not come through. The most important thing is to end the pandemic. And if we spend a bit more than we might have done, so be it. And now we've gone back a little bit more to the previous culture. And if, uh, you know, we've already seen quite a few mutations in the spike for, for the Omicron, if the next variant has even more, I mean, at what point do the vaccines that we have become problematic. More mutations will make the vaccines less able to spot the spike. There is a limit to how many mutations you can have and still be an effective virus. So it's not going to mutate away from the vaccines completely. There are antibodies which lock onto little bits of the spike. There are T cells which take a more sort of holistic, impressionistic view of the proteins on the virus. And they're far less likely to be swayed by a couple of mutations. A bit like if, if I look at your face and I try to identify it just by one little bit of it, if you got a scar on your cheek, I would no longer be able to spot Manveen if that was a bit that I was looking at. But if I'm a T-cell, I look at the whole face. If you get a scar, I'm fine. You're, you're still Manveen, you've got a scar. They're not going to stop you getting infected, but they are going to stop severe disease and death. And that's why we see the severe disease and death things holding up a lot better than mm. the infection stats. But, you know, eventually you want the, whole, the infection stats to hold up as well. So then you start looking at variant vaccines. Pfizer has said from the point at which they're told to make a variant vaccine, they think they can get that to approval in 100 days. Wow. A large part of the reason for that is, firstly, mRNA, as we've already said, is very fast. You get the new sequence, you swap it out, you put it in. The big thing that took time before was the regulatory approval. That'll be a lot faster because you won't have to do the massive efficacy studies. It's like, like with the flu vaccine. We tweak it every year. We don't test it in that way every year. So you'll test in a few people for safety and check the antibody levels, but you won't be looking at doing these major, major infection phase three trials. Although then you do have the... Dis distribution and getting everybody to take yet another booster, which probably, I mean, that is sort of at least half a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you would, you know, you'd be talking probably uh, three months after those three months mm. to get it into the people who most need it. So from where we are now, when can we expect to get some answers on just how bad this variant is? We should get laboratory studies in a couple of weeks, and they'll be looking at how the virus reacts to the blood of vaccinated people. And that'll give mm. us an idea of vaccine efficacy. And it'll only be an idea because we're not seeing real world, we're just seeing numbers in a lab. After that, things get really hard. 
it's a really hard problem to work out how fast a virus is transmitting. To give you an example, when Delta popped up in Britain, it was initially spreading in Indian communities, who, for obvious reasons, they come from India. And you think, well, are these demographically different? And of course, they are demographically different. You've probably got more people living in multi-generational households. You've got people doing different jobs. How do you extrapolate from this group to the larger population? How do you work out whether the fact it appears to be spreading faster in this group is because it's spreading faster or because of how they're living? And you're working with tiny amounts of data. Now, obviously, we'll get more data from South Africa, and maybe Mm. after Christmas, we'll start getting firm-ish numbers with quite big confidence intervals. But that'll be for it in South Africa, and there's still the question of, is it going to spread in the same way here? But we do have an advantage in that the PCR tests, or some of them, will give us this early signal. One of the things we still don't know is whether it might produce more false negatives on lateral flow tests. That is a problem. But nevertheless, there should be plenty enough data. If it isn't spreading in the UK, we definitely should know that by Christmas. Omicron has arrived in Britain in relatively small numbers so far. What sort of precautions will we need to think about now? We want to stop it spreading, but We're not talking about a different species. This is the COVID we know and love. It's probably going to affect roughly the same people. It's going to spread in roughly the same way. We just just need to get the data. Beyond sort of isolating, should we be taking extra precautions with this virus? We've seen Israel and Japan, for example, stopping all travel. Is that something we should be thinking about? One of the mistakes that we made with Delta was not closing the country fast enough. It buys you time. So, for instance, with Delta, imagine if we'd started with 100 cases and it was doubling roughly once a week, it was probably a bit more than that. Then, well, after four cases, you'd be up to 100, 200, 400, 800. If you import 1,000 cases, well, suddenly after four weeks, you're up to 8,000. You've effectively moved your pandemic forward a month. And when we did that with Delta... We had to keep restrictions in for another month because our pandemic was getting out of control. So it it is no exaggeration at all with Delta that if we had had the travel ban, we might well have had our Freedom Day a month earlier. And for this, again, you delay it. You don't stop it, you delay it. The question is, what are we delaying for? There's no point in delaying if you haven't got a policy to use that time. Now, I think it's pretty clear what the government's plan for how it's going to use that time to layers, and that's going to be to get as many boosters into people as possible and then perhaps start thinking about a variant vaccine as well if the data comes through and implies that's necessary. And with the boosters, I mean, do we think that's the best response? I mean, if the spike has changed as much as it might have done, will that make a difference? It's still the best response. The numbers on boosters are spectacular in terms of the amount of immunity it provides to Delta. This isn't going to evade immunity entirely. If it takes a hit, it'll take a hit from the level of immunity we're currently at. So let's make the level of immunity we're currently at as high as possible. And when it comes to the boosters, one of the arguments people have used against them is that every time we're using boosters here, countries that don't have much of the vaccine aren't getting it. Is that one of the causes for this particular variant? I think it could yet end up seeming as certainly one of the great moral failings. I think that's unambiguous Mm. of the pandemic. But as well as that, probably in terms of self-interest, 
one of the great failings of the pandemic is that we haven't vaccinated the developing world fast enough. What I say, it's not quite as simple as that, though. I mean, particularly in South Africa, there's a large amount of vaccine hesitancy. The fact that they haven't got terribly high vaccine rates isn't completely due to the greediness of the developed world. But yeah, in general, look, we are having our third dose and Mm. much of the world isn't having its first. So, as ever, let's start with the front pages. The Times says up to 23 million people will be able to book their booster by the end of next month. The Metro has word that the army are being drafted in to help give jabs to fend off the Omicron variant. And uh, as for yes, about Christmas, I think people should continue with their plans as normal for Christmas. I think it's, it's going to be a great Christmas. Just talk us through sort of the best and worst case scenario from here. What would a good version be and what's the nightmare scenario? The best case scenario is it's like beta. There'll be PhDs in 50 years time trying to work out why this was the dog that didn't bark. So the best case scenario is this is an irrelevancy. And in two months time, I write an article and I go and look at the comments and someone saying, Tom Whipple, you idiot, you scared us. (laughs) Remember Omicron? Remember of that podcast you did where you were trying to scare the life out of us? And not not to say I'm psychologically affected by the Times commenters, who obviously I love. The reasonable worst case scenario is this knocks another 20% off infection efficacy, perhaps 10% off hospitalisation efficacy. We look at another quite big wave here. I mean, another highly transmissible variant. We spend another winter trying to keep it down. I still think it's unlikely that we will need another full lockdown, but serious measures are looking a lot more likely. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we're told to work from home, possibly even before Christmas. Uh, Is Christmas still on? Christmas is still on. I'm now saying this with the confidence of a man whose predictions are definitely going to be wrong. I mean, please be right. We are starting with a situation where we have a small handful of cases in the UK, even if they are doubling once every 10 days, which would be quite a bold doubling rate. We're looking at three doublings until Christmas. It's like 28 sleeps till Christmas, three doublings till Christmas. Exponentials get big fast, but they will struggle to be big enough to trouble politicians before then. If they are doubling at that rate, then there will be epidemiologists who say, well, we should lock down because that's just as worrying as a doubling later on. But we're not going to. We are not going to politically with something that's still, even if we see it coming up, it won't be lockdownable by Christmas. That is the quote you can use for me on our Christmas Day edition where (laughs) we're working from home and the whole world is just thinking, God, not another year. Is there a danger that there's still worse to come? There will be variants that will evolve, that will be worse in the sense they will travel faster, they will get around our immunity. But we are building up immunity all the time, not perfect immunity because they evolve around it. But we are getting vaccinated, we are getting infections, we're getting infections and vaccinations from different variants now. Our infections are coming from Delta, our vaccinations are coming from pre-alpha This is giving us broader immunity and it's boosting our immunity. So, no, it's not going to get worse. Of course, this will keep happening, but it's going to be less scary each time 
and less of a worry each time and hopefully this winter <laughs> by spring we will be in the new dawn of a new year which i'm sure i used that phrase last year you've been listening to stories of our times a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of the times and the sunday times with me manveen rana and my guest the times science editor tom whipple You can find all of Tom's reporting and analysis at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print. The producers today were James Shield and Chris Wade. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for future episodes, any stories you'd like us to chase up, do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. See you tomorrow. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.